Well, friends, it doesn't matter whether you are young or old. It doesn't matter how much experience you've had doing it. If your job or your vocation requires you to stand up in front of groups of people and talk regularly, well, the chances are you are going to make some verbal gaffes. You are bound to make some communication mistakes that will either leave the people shaking their head in your stupidity, uh, or they will be there just laughing in disbelief. Last Sunday morning, family, we honored our military, our veterans, right? During Veterans Day Sunday, during morning worship. And just last Sunday morning, I said something that someone brought to my attention that was both inadvertent, uh, but it was ridiculous. At the same time, it was funny. Uh, during our time of recognizing our veterans, I was trying to say that America is still the greatest country in the world. That's what I was trying to say. Instead, what I actually said was, we're still the greatest planet on Earth. Now, how many of you remember hearing that last Sunday morning? Yeah, there was quite a few of you. Friends, the truth is, I am not the only person in the history of verbal communication or public speaking to have made a a very verbal public blunder. There have been many people who've made some epic blunders in communication over the years. Many years ago, the legendary actress Brooke Shields was doing a, a, a public campaign against smoking. And she said this, smoking kills. If you're killed, you've lost a very important part of your life. The former mayor of Washington, D.C., Mayor Marion Barry, once said this in a public press conference. Well, outside of the killings, Washington, D.C. has one of the lowest crime rates in the country. One time before a very, very important radio broadcast, President Ronald Reagan did not realize that his microphone was already turned on. And President Reagan jokingly said these words to a hot mic. My fellow Americans, I've just signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We begin the bombing in five minutes. And friends, speaking of presidents, who will ever forget Donald Trump's famous speech at Liberty University in 2015, where he cited... Two Corinthians to an audience of Christian college students that immediately started to laugh at his reference of two Corinthians. My son Walker was actually there in the audience that day as a student at Liberty University for, of course, one of Mr. Trump's more noteworthy gaffes. You know, family, there's no denying when you are a leader of people, there are going to be times when you make mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes are just verbal. They're just verbal gaffes, and they might be funny to our listeners. They might be maybe a little embarrassing to us, but most of the time, when words are spoken, mistakes in words don't typically lead to endangerment of people. But friends, sometimes, sometimes leaders can make a mistake with their actions. And sometimes those actions have devastating consequences, not only for that particular leader, but even for the people who might be following that leader. Well, family, we're going to take our Bibles now, and I want you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 20. And we're going to put the capstone on this sermon series, friend, on Moses. We're going to look at the colossal mistake that Moses made, and we want to see the devastating consequences that followed 
So I want you to take your Bible now and come with me here to Numbers chapter 20 in this message, Water from the Rock. Now, friends, we're catching up with Moses in this text. We are a long way. We're a long way from those ten plagues that God unleashed on Egypt. We're a long way even from the miraculous Red Sea crossing that followed soon after. Uh, The Bible says that not long after God rescued the Israelites across the Red Sea, this throng of these two million Israelites were brought through the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land. They meet with God at Mount Sinai, and then eventually they come to the region of Kadesh. Kadesh was this little area that was just on the outskirts of Canaan. And from Kadesh, the Bible says that 12 spies were sent to sneak into the Promised Land and check it out and see who was living there and check out the people groups that were there, the Canaanites. And they were to come back and report on what they discovered. Well, the Bible says when the spies returned, only two out of the 12 spies were positive about their ability to go in and take this land that God was going to give them. Well, the Bible says because of the people's doubts, because of their disbelief, Scripture says that God would allow that present generation of Israelites, they would start a wandering in the wilderness for about 40 years. Well, during those 40 years, Moses was continuing to deal with these people, these people who were complainers, they were grumblers, they were even rebels at times against his own leadership. But friends, what's so encouraging about this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is how God remains faithful. God stays faithful to his people even though they are complaining and grumbling against his leadership for their lives. Well, that brings us up here to Numbers chapter 20. We are really near the tail end of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And wouldn't you know, by God's direction, the Israelites are brought back again to Kadesh. Once again at Kadesh, and we will see in God's word this morning that once again they are complaining. They are complaining yet again about water. But friends, we want to see this this morning. This time in Numbers 20, it wasn't the Israelite people who made a big mistake. No, in this case, it was Moses. Moses was the one who made an epic mistake. Well, friends, as we look at this heart-wrenching event now, where did Moses go wrong? Where did Moses go wrong, and and what significant truths can you and I learn from this text to be applied to our Christian lives in the here and now? Well, family, we want to answer some of those questions, so let's, let's watch now this tragic event. Let's watch it unfold, and we're going to watch it unfold this morning, friends, in four parts. Four parts. So I hope you'll take some notes and follow along, and let's see what God has for us today. I want you to notice, number one, let's talk about a grumbling people. Number one, a grumbling people. Look with me now in God's Word. We're in Numbers 20, beginning in verse 1. Scripture says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. 
Christian friends, here in verses 1 to 5, we're at a point where the Israelites' challenges of about 40 years are starting to come to an end. But even though the Israelites' challenges after 40-something years are coming to an end, we see that Moses' challenges are not done. Look at verse 1. Scripture says, Upon the return to Kadesh, who dies? Ah, Moses' sister. His sister, Miriam. We can only imagine what kind of an effect this must have had on Moses' heart. Miriam was such an important supporter of his. She was an encourager of his. She had had such an impact on his own life. Remember, all the way back to where he had been rescued with the basket in the river. Remember, it was Miriam who went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, Can I find a nurse for you for this little baby? Miriam had been such an important part of Moses' life and his ministry. But Miriam's death, friends, was not the only difficult circumstance that Moses was facing at this point in his leadership. I want you to notice there, did you see it? Again, in verses 2 to 5, the people of Israel, they are grumbling. They are complaining against Moses and Aaron. For what? For this lack of water yet again. I like what Dr. Warren Wearsby says about their grumbling and complaining. Wearsby calls this the conditioned reflex. This was the conditioned reflex of the Israelites. Anytime something difficult came about, they complained. They grumbled to Moses and Aaron, and they wept. They moaned that we didn't stay in Egypt. You know, friends, how many of us start to get a little pressured? How many of us feel the pressure when we've got a spouse who's upset with us? How many of us feel the pressure when we know the teacher is upset with us? How many of us start to feel that pressure in our heart or on our shoulders when we know there's a family member or a coworker or a boss who's displeased with us in some way? Christian friend, let me ask you, how'd you like to have a whole nation against you? How'd you like to have close to two million people all angry at you, believing that you're doing a poor job in leading them. Wow, you want to talk about pressure. Well, Christians, there's no doubt these, these difficult circumstances, they certainly contributed to Moses' outburst of sinful anger and his disobedience, which we're going to probe deeper in a few minutes. But friends, certainly the first practical lesson that you and I can take away from these early verses that we read, this lesson is this. Troubling sin doesn't normally happen in a vacuum. Troubling sin that comes into our lives doesn't normally happen in a vacuum. Many times we find ourselves giving in to some kind of sin when life comes in and starts pressing down upon us. Life shows up in a very difficult way, doesn't it? It gives us challenges. We get emotional challenges, mental challenges. Maybe it's physical. Sometimes it's even a spiritual challenge. When we think about where Moses was at this point in his career, he was feeling it from all sides. He really was. He was feeling the pressure. The pressure of the people. They're angry. They're complaining. They have unbelief in his leadership. Moses is dealing with his own personal grief at the death of his sister. And of course, he's been leading these complainers for four decades now. Let that number soak in. Imagine leading a grousing, complaining, grumbling people for close to 40 years. This was a perfect storm, I think, 
A perfect storm was swirling all around, a storm that would ultimately lead Moses into a really unfortunate sin. This was a storm that would strike Moses with great fury. Christian friends, let's take a reminder then today, shall we? Can we learn a lesson here? Let's recognize that when we get emotionally drained, when we are mentally taxed, when we're physically exhausted, when our spiritual gas tanks are a little low, that is when we especially have got to be on our guard. We've got to be watching out that we don't succumb to sinful decisions, sinful actions. When we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling overwhelmed by life, when the people around us are putting pressure on us, that's when we've got to be careful. That's when we need to go and seek the Lord. We need to get down on our knees in, in prayer. We need to say, Lord, I need help right now. I need a fresh dose of strength. I need a fresh dose of your help. I don't want to give in to some sinful response. So we need to be humble about that, friend. When we get discouraged, when we're beat down, when life's got us knocked around, we don't need to be stubborn. And so many of us get stubborn. We say, I'm fine. I got this. I'm cool. Everything's great. I can handle it. No, we need to take a different approach. We need to say, Lord, I need your help right now. I'm really feeling the burden of life, the, the stress of this situation, the pressure that's on me from these people. I gave you in your notes there, friends, a great verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. A great principle here from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul writes, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's such a great principle. Don't be so proud as to say, I'm cool, I'm fine, I got this. No, no, no. That's when you're at your most vulnerable. That's when you need to call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your guidance to help me through this stressful situation. In your notes, I gave you Hebrews 4.16. The Bible gives us the solution, the place that we need to go. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, let's move on, okay? Let's see what happens next. Let's see what happens next as Moses is surrounded by this swarm of complainers. Let's look in our text, all right? Verses 6 through 9. Let's talk about number 2, family. Number 2, a gracious remedy. Number 2, a gracious remedy. We're in Numbers chapter 20. Let's look at verse 6 and we'll read down to verse 9. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. All right, friends, now stay with me, okay? Before, before you say to yourself, what's the big deal here? What's the big deal about needing water? Well, listen, can I just remind you? Can I just remind you that this was not just a handful of families, Okay, this wasn't just a small little group of people. This wasn't even a few hundred people. This was a massive group. This was nearly two million people. 
This is two million people with all of their animals with them. And they are all desperate for this life-sustaining water. Now, you know what the scientists all tell us. You know this is true. Food. Human beings can go for up to three weeks without food. That's a long time. Maybe some of us could go a couple weeks right now after that giant Thanksgiving feast that we just had. You can go up to three weeks, the scientists tell us, and not be in any real danger of death. You can go three weeks without food. But you tell me, how long can you go without water? How many days? About three days. Three weeks for food, three days for water. Having water is truly all about survival. You have no water, there is no survival. Well, how's the Lord respond? Moses and Aaron come and they seek the Lord. They fall on their faces and they're praying. They're seeking God's help. And how does God respond? With yet another supernatural demonstration of his kindness and his provision. Did you remember this, friends? Two times already, the Lord has already provided water supernaturally to these people. The first example was back in Exodus 15. This massive group, two million Hebrews, showed up at this place called Marah. And there at Marah, these waters that were there were bitter. It was brackish. It was stinky, foul water that the people couldn't drink. Well, in that instance, God told Moses, Hey, Moses, I want you to grab this log over here, this piece of wood. You chuck it in that water. And that's what Moses did. And God supernaturally made that foul water drinkable. Now, you can read that. It's in Exodus 15. That's the first time. But God did it again in Exodus 17. The people are at Rephidim. This is a different time. Exodus 17. The people need water, and they are angry with Moses. They are so mad that there's no water, they are ready to stone Moses. Right? They're ready to kill him on the spot. But graciously, God tells Moses, you take your staff, you go over, there's a rock there at Horeb, and you, you strike the rock. You hit that rock, and I will supernaturally cause water to come gushing forth out of that rock. Enough for everyone, for all the people and all their livestock. I mean, just imagine how much water that must have been. I don't think it was a small trickle. I think it was a, a huge amount of water. Well, now we're here in Numbers 20, aren't we? Now here's another opportunity. The Lord is going to do another supernatural miracle to meet the Israelites' need for water. We read what the Lord told Moses. Moses, all you have to do is take your staff, and get your brother Aaron, you have all the people come, you gather them around to this one particular rock, you speak to it. Just say the words. Say the words, and I'm going to do this amazing miracle. And the rock is going to burst open with an abundance of water that's going to be enough, more than enough, for all the people and all their livestock. Now, Christian friends, we're going to press on here, but before we do, isn't right here... Isn't this place a great time for you and I to pause, for us to reflect, for us to remember all of the times where God has graciously provided for us? This would be a great point right here, just to stop and remember, to, to remember, to reflect on all the amazing ways that God has provided for you and me over the years. Christian, how many times in your life how many times in your experience have you been faced with some real challenge? I mean, something heavy duty was going on in your life. It was a challenge. It was an adversity. It was a trial, man. Your back was against the wall. 
And God came through for you. God came through. Sometimes even at the last moment, but He was there. He showed up and He helped you. Maybe it was a financial need you were dealing with. Maybe it was some kind of physical need. Maybe it was an employment need. Maybe it was a family need and you, you got on your face and you were praying and you're saying, Lord, I got nowhere else to turn. I need you. And God showed up. He was there. He did it. You know, Christians, uh, you and I are not exempt from hard times. We're not exempt from financial challenges. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're not going to have flat tires or expensive medical bills. But you and I, again and again, we could pass a microphone around this room and we could hear the stories, couldn't we, of how God shows up for his people. God shows up. He's a provider. He's a loving God who meets the needs of his people. And so often God shows up, doesn't he, when we least expect it and in ways that we never could have guessed. I love that verse from David's pen. It's in your notes from Psalm 37, verse 25. David says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19 in the New Testament, And my God will supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Christian friends, when you and I study the life of Moses and we see the Israelites in their journey, when we see God showing up again and again and again for His people, Christians, that's a reminder for us. Let's be thankful. Let's remember this. Our God is a caring, providing kind of God. He knows. He knows how to show up when things are on the line. He knows how to show up with some of the most gracious remedies in our most pressing times of need. Now, let's keep reading, okay? Let's, let's consider now the most disheartening mistake of Moses' whole career. Here was the most disheartening mistake of his leadership career. Here's number three. If you're taking notes, a grievous error. Number three, a grievous error. We see it in verse 10 and 11. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand, and he struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Now, friends, whenever I come to this text, whenever I read this narrative where Moses loses control of his temper and his actions, whenever I read this, I can't help but think of a very famous sentence that was spoken by the country preacher. The country preacher said this, Speak when you are angry, and it will be the best speech you will ever forget. Speak when you are angry, and it will be the best speech you will ever forget. That's true. How about this famous piece of wisdom? Maybe you've heard it before. Anger, anger is only one letter from danger. I like that. That's one for your refrigerator. You clip that one out. Anger is only one letter from danger. Friends, in verses 10 and 11, we just read, didn't we? This is undoubtedly, this is the greatest mistake of Moses' leadership career. And what it was, friends, was really this sinful concoction. 
It was a sinful concoction of anger mixed with frustration and disobedience. Look again with me at verse 10. Moses gets all the people together, doesn't he? He's got the people there. He's got his brother Aaron. And the Bible says in this impulsive act, this impulsive act, again, driven by anger and frustration and his emotions, Mo Moses scolds the people. I mean, he yells at them. He calls them rebels. And then in, in his fury, he takes his staff and he, and he hits the rock twice. And then the Bible says the water comes flowing forth. Now, family, we know, we know that this public detonation of Moses' anger, this was patently wrong. We know this was sin. We know this is wrong because in the next few verses, the Lord immediately will come to Moses and confront him and take him to task. Well, friends, as we look at Moses' anger here, his sinful disobedience, we have to ask this question, how did this happen? How, how did this happen, Moses? How did, how did you get to this point? Well, believers, one of the answers to that question, how did we get here, is certainly this answer. Moses' anger detonated because he was focused on his own glory rather than God's. Moses was focused on his own glory rather than God's. Did you notice, family, the first two sentences there that Moses bellows out at the people? Verse 10. This is powerful stuff. Moses says, Hear now, you rebels! Wow! Woo Can you imagine hearing that? But let's remember, friends, Moses was not told to talk to the people. Moses was not instructed to speak to the people. He was supposed to speak to the rock. If God wanted Moses to rebuke the people, God would have told him. God did not tell Moses to scold the people or rebuke the people. But Moses did that anyway. When we see Moses speaking to the people, what are we seeing? We're seeing a man who's speaking out of his own anger, out of his own frustration, his desire to let these people get a piece of his mind. You people. You can just hear him. You rebels, you people. At this very moment, Moses is not speaking for God, is he? No, Moses is only speaking for himself. But then notice the second statement Moses makes. It's even worse. It gets worse. Moses says, secondly, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Now, friends, when Moses uses that little pronoun, we, we, he's not talking about himself and the Lord. No, no, no. We means him and Aaron, must we bring this water for you out of this rock, you rebels? This is staggering. This is staggering. Don't miss this. Moses is giving the impression that he does the miracle. He's giving the impression that the water is supplied by he and Aaron. So instead of portraying himself as the Lord's instrument... Moses is speaking as if he is the manufacturer of the miracle. Christian friends, can we learn any lessons here? Are there any significant lessons we can learn from this for our Christian lives? Well, I think there are. I think there are. First of all, I think there's a great lesson for us Christians. That the moment we take our eyes off the Lord, when we substitute 
a vision of Him with a vision of us, that is the first step on a long path of pain. When we substitute the vision of Him for the vision of ourselves, that's the first step on a very painful path. Did you know Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, says that Moses was the most meek man on earth? He was the most meek and humble man on earth, but yet even Moses fell prey to his own pride, his own desire to protect self, to promote self. Moses let his vision of self obscure his vision of God. Psalm 106, verse 33 says this, that Moses spoke rashly with his lips. That's right. That's exactly right. Listen, believers, those high-pressure situations are coming. The tremendous adversities, they will be there. The personal challenges will be coming your way, especially when it involves people. You will never be able to get away from people. People will always be part of your life. And people are going to be part of life. And they will often be the source of the trial, the adversity, the challenge. Sometimes people are causing the issue. They will grieve you. They will confront you. They will mistreat you. And in those situations, we have got to be so careful how we respond. If we take our minds away from pleasing God when we take our vision away from what God would desire, when we let our minds and our eyes get captured by self, and what this is doing to our own pride, you know what happens? The fuse is lit. When pride becomes the focus, the fuse is lit. And you know what's coming. An explosion of sin. That's why Proverbs 16.12, or excuse me, Proverbs 16.32 is such a great verse for Christians to know and to memorize and believe Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit better than he who takes a city. But I think there's a second application here, friends. A second application. I think we need to let Moses' epic failure here teach us a truth that when it comes to serving God, when it comes to being God's servant, when it comes to being God's witness in this world, we need this truth. We need to hear this again. That at the end of the day, really, let's be honest, at the end of the day, it really doesn't come down to what we do. What really matters is what God does. It's really not about what we do. It's about what God does. You know, sometimes Christians... Sometimes Christian leaders even, we get this idea that it's our job to be manufacturers of spiritual things. We get this idea that it's our job, that it's our responsibility to manufacture spiritual things, spiritual growth, spiritual discipline, spiritual outcomes. Friends, that is dead wrong. That is dead wrong. You and I are not manufacturers we are not the source of spiritual life, spiritual health, or spiritual growth. We are not the source of those things. God is. That's God's department. He's the manufacturer. He's the source. You and I are just distributors. He's a manufacturer, and we are distributors. But too often, you know what happens? Our pride lifts us up. Our pride puffs us up. And our sinful pride tells us how much we matter. Our sinful pride tells us 
how much this church is counting on us. Our pride tells us how much this ministry needs me. Our sinful hearts tell us how much this deacon board, how much this Sunday school class, how much this small group is depending on my involvement. But friends, listen, that's when we need to take a step back. And we need to humble ourselves and we need to remember, listen, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me either. God doesn't need us. God can do just fine without us. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was Jesus who said, I will build my church. Now, do you have a part to play in spiritual things and spiritual growth? Yes, there's a part to play. Our job is to serve and our job is to love and our job is to minister. Our job is to teach. Our job is to stay involved, but humbly, always remembering that the results are in God's hand. Remember what Paul told his readers in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6? Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So he who plants nor he who waters is anything. That's a, that's a powerful verse for pastors to meditate on. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Friends, Moses needed a healthy reminder, and we often do too, that success, spiritual success, doesn't really depend on us. It really depends ultimately on God. Now, can I show you one fourth and final part of this tragic event? Here's number four, a grim punishment. A grim punishment. Look at verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and He was hallowed among them. Now, Christian friends, I've told you before that when you're reading the Bible and studying the Bible, whenever you see the word therefore, pay attention. Pay attention. There was truth being said, truth being unpacked, and then there's a therefore, and then what follows the therefore is going to be very important. Well, friends, as you study the Bible, there are many significant therefores. But listen, I don't think there's anyone more significant in the whole Old Testament than what we just read, the therefore that's here in the second half of verse 12. Here's this tragic episode where Moses has this explosive anger followed by blatant disobedience. And so we read God's declaration to Moses in verse 12. Therefore, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I've given them. In other words, God tells Moses, there are consequences to your disobedience. And the consequence is, Moses, you are going to be prohibited from entering the promised land with the people. Yes, I'll let you keep leading them. You'll bring them even to the front doorstep of the land, but you will not be permitted to enter this land, and you will not be there with the people as they take it as their possession. Now, family, we don't have time, or we don't even have the, the recording of God's Word to tell us how Moses felt about this circumstance, but we can imagine it, can't we? Can't we speculate a little bit to say Moses was 
devastated by this news. He must have been so discouraged, so disappointed. How many decades had he led these people? I mean, I'm, I'm coming on two decades now. This Easter, I will have been a part of this congregation for two decades. That's a long time. How long do you think Moses had been? How many decades? 40 years just leading these people in the wilderness. And now they're going to get there. And he won't. He must have been devastated. How many decades had he led these people? He was so hopeful about the destination. But now the Bible says, now God says, your ultimate punishment, Moses, will be the same as all those rebels. They died in the wilderness. And so will you. You will not enter the promised land. Christian friends, as we meditate on this text, I think there's an application here, and it's not hard to see. Moses' unrighteous anger, his disobedience, it had painful consequences, which could not be reversed. Listen, can I say something to you this morning, friend? There are some sins that will have devastating consequences that cannot be reversed. They cannot be undone. Some sins bring about consequences that cannot be undone. No matter how sorry you are, no matter how repentant you are, it doesn't change the consequences that are coming because of that sin. Look in your notes. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I want to show you a picture on the screen now. When I was a teen, my mom used to say this a lot to my brother and I. My brother Wes is here this morning. My mom used to say this little phrase to us a lot when we were growing up, especially as teenagers. You are free to choose, but you are not free from the consequences of your choice. You are free to choose. Go ahead, make your choice. But you are not free to choose the consequences that come with that choice. Family, Moses is a great example of this truth. We have so many examples in God's Word of a believer who made a tragic mistake and then they had to live in the fallout of those consequences. Moses lost the promised land. King Saul lost his kingdom. Samson lost his eyes and his freedom. King David lost his son. How often today has a Christian sin led to something devastating that can't be undone? The loss of a job, maybe the destruction of a friendship, the fracturing of a family, maybe the splitting of a church, maybe even the permanent dissolving of a marriage. Friend, there's an obvious lesson to be learned here. You and I as believers, we need to commit ourselves to be so devoted to want to walk with God, please God, obey God. We want to walk with God in such a spirit-filled way that no matter what that sin might be, whether it's unrighteous anger, whether it's blatant disobedience, or whether it's any other sin, we want to do our best to walk in God's ways so that we can avoid that sin in the first place. Right? How do you best avoid the consequences of sin? Avoid that sin in the first place. Now, obviously, Moses could not control the complainers, could he? Moses couldn't control those people. They complained. They, re they rebelled. He couldn't avoid the ways in which they came to him, complaining, grousing, grumbling. 
Having people come to you and say things to you, that's just part of being a leader. But what could Moses control? His response. His response, he could control. And he should have controlled it differently. But we see he didn't. And that was his epic failure. Friends, even in the midst of the pressure, even in the midst of the frustration, Moses had the opportunity and Moses had the responsibility to obey God. To obey what the Lord instructed. So listen, Christian. No matter what situation you're in today, no matter what that pressure is, no matter what that frustration may be, God is always going to give you the opportunity to obey Him. God always gives you the opportunity to obey Him and to honor Him with your actions, with your decisions. No matter what you might be facing, His grace is there for you. His grace is sufficient to meet your need right where you are, but you've got to look away from yourself. You've got to look to Him instead. You know, perhaps you're listening today and and you're not a Christian. Friend, if that's your case this morning, there's something really special here I want to show you. Maybe you're not a Christian, but I want you to see this. What is so amazing about this text, friend, is even though Moses makes a horrible mistake, Moses sins. His anger, his disobedience, it's blatant sin. But did you see? God showed grace. God was still gracious to send forth that water to bless those people. Moses struck the rock. Moses was angry. Moses disobeyed. Moses sinned. And yet God still showed amazing grace when it was needed most. Friend, I'm making this point to you today. Even in the midst of sin, the Bible says God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. And that's true not only in the case of this event, it's true also in the realm of salvation. The Bible says in Romans 5.8, but while God shows His love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, the Bible says all human beings are sinners. We've all fallen short of God's standards. All human beings everywhere across the planet have disobeyed God, rebelled against God. And the Bible says the result of that should be eternal death. We deserve eternal death because of our rebellion and disobedience. But the Bible says God is full of grace. God in His grace sent Jesus Christ to this earth to be our Savior so that all those who would look to Christ by faith would have their sins forgiven and be welcomed back into God's family. Friend, if you're listening today and God is speaking to your heart about your sin, about your distance from Him, about the need of your own soul, oh friend, look to Jesus Christ even today. Put your trust in Jesus. Turn away from your sins with a humble heart and believe on Christ. Did you see how gracious God is? He gives people that physical water that they needed Well, listen, God can give you, friend. He can give you that spiritual water you need. The Bible calls it the living water. It's Jesus Christ, that salvation that comes through Jesus alone. Well, believers, as we conclude this morning, as we head out to a brand new week, I I sure hope that you will take this passage to heart. I hope that you'll grab a hold with both hands of a number of these spiritual principles that we've looked at today. I hope that you'll apply them to your own Christian life. You know, Christians, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that when the Bible presents to us these these legendary characters, I'm so thankful that they're given to us in their true form. I'm thankful that the Bible shows us mistakes and all, not just the good stuff, not just the ways they succeeded, 
but even their failures, even the ways they messed up and fell short and stumbled. I'm so thankful that God shows us in the characters of the Bible their successes and their stumbles. But friends, there's something to be encouraged by. Even in the midst of this devastating sin, we get to Hebrews chapter 11, and Moses is there. Moses is there in the Hall of Faith chapter. He truly was a champion of faith. He heard God's call at the burning bush, and despite his fears, he obeyed. He stood up to Pharaoh. He led the people out of Egypt. He took them across the Red Sea. He received God's law on Mount Sinai. He helped them defeat numerous enemies on the battlefield. But even though Moses was a mighty leader, we saw it today, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. And in Numbers 20, he suffered the most devastating error of his leadership. But even though Moses disobeyed, even though he sinned, did you see God did not give up on him? And what encouragement that is for Christians like you and me, even today. So believers, as we draw this message to a close and this series to a close, I hope that you've been blessed by this eight-week study of Moses, all the truths, the insights, the applications for your life. But Christian friend, can I just implore you? Keep digging. Keep reading. There's so much more to Moses' biography, even more than the eight weeks we studied together on Sunday mornings. So come back again. Christian, come back again soon and read more about the incredible story of Moses and his life journey. Christian, I promise you, you will be amazed. You will be awe-inspired. You will be encouraged by the power and the faithfulness of your God. And He's the same God you serve today. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.